the men that played a crucial role in my life in college started, like walls started to be broken down. And honestly, those walls were put up because of my family structure and us being close-knit, almost like, don't let anyone in. My mom being very protective of her kids. Hi everyone, this is Ross, your host of Bear Crawl with Dads. So true confession, I'm completely leveraging this podcast for personal and selfish reasons. You see, not too long ago, I became a dad for the very first time, but with that, an older dad. So the one thing that I know so far is that this bear crawl as a dad is not meant to be done alone. We truly need each other. So may this podcast be that for you. So come along and let's bear crawl together. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into Bear Crawl with Dads. We're so honored to have you. And as you know, this podcast is just a, a conversation to encourage dads out there, whether you're a new dad or you're a veteran dad or maybe an empty nester, but just to have conversations with dads out there, just to hear their stories and may um, something they share be an encouragement to you. So tonight, I am honored to have Mr. Joel as a special guest. Joel, thank you for being willing to be on my podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. Well, so for the audience, if you don't mind, who are you? What do you do? And more importantly, I happen to know where you live, but where are you? Well, um, like I said, I'm Joel Bazil. I am currently living in the great spot state of Texas, <laughs> in South Texas. And I actually, I, I live where I work and I work where I live which means I am a house parent at a children's home. Wow. And for those who are not familiar with that, it's mm -hmm. like foster care. And so we have eight boys that live with us and our additional three kids. So it's a full house. Yeah, that's currently my life right now. Okay, so you're in... Southeast Texas, and for those that are listening, if you have any kind of keeping up with the weather, how hot is it? I feel like that's a punchline or there's a joke there. Has it been oh, brutal? Man. Brutal for you guys? It's been brutal. Like we just got to the 90s, I believe, this week, well, this past weekend. But for the past, God knows how long, it was 100 and up, you know? To the point, like, I took a trip to North Carolina this summer, uh -huh. and, like, at 2 p.m., I'm like, this is lovely. And everyone there is like, can we, can we go inside and talk? <laughs> and I'm like, you have not felt heat. <laughs> you <laughs> have <laughs> no <laughs> idea. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's been brutal. Like, everything is brown outside, like... Oh, we're used to that. Well, you know, and I'm, I'm, uh, we're recording here in Houston. And so I worked at a school. And so today was like, I want to say maybe 97 ish or eight. And everybody was like, it's like a cold spring. I mean, everybody was outside, like, this is amazing, you know, at a recess. Yeah. It's just amazing what like your norm is, you know, for us. And we're all like, all the teachers, are like, this is crazy. It's a cold front and it's 97 degrees. 
and the last thing I'll go with with the heat again, working at a school where you have to be really sensitive to like how how long do the kids stay outside? Like, how do you handle that with entertaining not only your three but the eight in the house? What do you do when you really can't go outside? Oh, man. Well, we we are blessed that we have a a gym, you know, very nice size gym. So a lot of times that's open. There's a pool that the kids are in oh, like, yeah. every day. Right, you know? right. And, and even with me, you know, I'm thankful for the pool, but I'm like, it's too hot. You know, um, I, I, was, I was born and raised on an island and people always say like, how can you not take the heat? I'm like, listen, an island have trade winds, you know, like it's, and, and it's not like what Texas, like a desert. It's not that. We got rain for it. Like it's, it's beautiful. And so a lot of time when we have pool duty, my wife is like, are you coming in with the kids? I'd be like, listen, I love my kids. This is not a, a memory moment that's going to happen. I'm still, <laughs> if it's night swim, I'm all in. That's you're, it. you're there. It's too hot. The hottest point of the day is like when they go swimming. I'm just like, I'm can't. I'm sorry. I cannot do that. You're done. Yeah. Yeah. Love has love has limits in this situation. Yes. Well, and like for our family, like it really is, honestly, man. It's like every evening, that's our ritual. It's like we get home from school, whatever, then we hit the pool. And then I'm even like, I'm kind of tired of the pool, but like just to like cool your body off, it's just insane. And I want to come back to where you grew up here in a minute could you explain to the audience because i think we think of children's homes i think we're thinking maybe orphanages right and so for the audience what's a misconception or you said foster care are there orphanages are you an orphanage (laughs) or not like what is where you work what's the clientele are these kids that are this is like kind of their last step for juvie or they're just abandoned just kind of paint that picture of the clients you serve, why they're there. So honestly, the only experience I've had with an orphanage is I worked with a girl back, back in California and she's from Russia. She was from Russia and literally from an orphanage. And that's all I know. Other than like Oliver Twist was the name, the story. Like, so I don't even, even know what an orphanage is and, okay. and what the difference is. But I know it's a place where a lot of kids are. And so from our American standpoint, it's probably an orphanage. Like I'm going to be honest about the situation. But like there are many different types. So before we even came here, we visited a lot of places from Wisconsin all the way to Pennsylvania, like all over the place. Mm-hmm. Or a children's home, like wherever we want to go in. And so we visited type that it was like, this is your last dance, like with kids before you go to juvie, prison, whatever. So it's different types and it's range on levels. Like there's some, like ours is very like normal, but we don't take kids that are gang related or, you know, prison or stuff like that. Okay. But there are some out there then where it's like fresh out. You can go and like, this is your last chance. And so, like I said, we've been here for eight years. And when we first got here, we dealt a lot with CPS, Child Protective Service, mm-hmm. where in the state can come in, they'll get a phone call from someone like, hey, there are kids who are not in a good environment. And so the state will come in, investigate. And if they deem it like, yeah, 
the kids cannot survive in this type of home, then they will take them and they'll bring them to children's homes, parents' foster place. So we did, we dealt a lot CPS. I got you. But then a law was passed a couple of years ago with like this type of like children's home ministries and stuff like that, that do this. It was like, yeah, we're going to change some things up. So because we, even though we work with the state, we mm-hmm. never took like finance from them. It yes. didn't really affect us to a degree of many other places. And it got to the point where we just couldn't do it anymore because they were asking for like 24-7 supervision, even at, at night, someone had to bid up, you know? And it was just like, we could do it, but it's just too much. So mm-hmm. we kind of ended our relationship with CPS, but because we were with them for so long, they still work with us where to the point is like, when they're investigating a private home, they'll tell like the parents like, hey, like if you send your kids to this place, the state won't get involved. So now we deal with a lot of private placement where parents or guardians, they hand over their kids and I might be butchering the way I'm saying this, but in a nutshell, they give the kids to us. So that way CPS is not involved. I gotcha. You know? So we work with a lot of kids that even though they're not CPS, they were like really close, you know, to being CPS kids. So yeah, a lot of it is private placement. A lot of it is grandparents that just can't do it anymore, you know, because of their age. They don't have the energy. A lot of mm-hmm. the parents just hit financial hard times. Mm-hmm. So they, they place them here and we get the opportunity to just do life with these kids. Wow. Wow, man. Well, thank you for explaining that. And just maybe a little clarity to the audience, because I know full disclosure with me and my story, I used to work at a children's home here in Texas as well. And so I think you, when I, when I would share where I was, they're like, oh, an orphanage? Like those still exist? <laughs> you know, that's yeah. Enough. Yeah. So thank you for that. That just adds a little perspective and context uh, of what you do and kind of that world that you're in. You know, and Joel, as far as, as you know, one of the kind of the, the genesis of this show is really just as I'm a new older dad. And so it really is just to kind of like, I'm just leveraging a podcast just to be able to talk to people just like, and as a parent, and as a dad, like, where'd you screw up? And what are your celebration and, and highs and lows? And I'm taking notes, right, of, of mm-hmm. how I can, you know, parent my child. But I want to kind of focus maybe on you a little bit. You said you grew up on an island. What island? Because I was born on an island. Um, so that's oh. maybe something that we have in common. But also, too, since we're, again, we're kind of zooming in on dads. Tell us about where did you grow up and what was your relationship like with your father? So I was born and raised in the United States Virgin Islands. And so that's right next to Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. three islands in the U.S. And I was born in St. Croix. So United States Virgin Islands, St. Croix. Okay. And spent about 11 or 12 years. I can't remember exactly. <laughs> but yeah, like growing up there, it was... Like I said, 11 years of vacation. That's the vibe, I'll be honest. And <laughs> that sounds so good right now. You know, I am one of six kids. My mom and dad, they had five boys and one girl. And wow. Bless your yes. sister. Yes. <laughs> I, was, I was number four, you know. I was going to ask, and, like, where, where are you in the pecking <laughs> order and where's your sister? God bless her. Yeah. Where, where My she- sister was... 
She was number two and literally ran the house. You talk about no trouble, like just man, like, oh my goodness, I envy her. Okay. But yeah, so my dad was in and out of our lives. It was to the point where I knew that was not the norm only because you know, I'm a kid and I'm seeing other kids who parents, you know, are at home. Dad's at home, you know? So I knew that was not the norm, but at the same time, like, I just didn't really care. Like, I was a kid who just cared about having fun. Like, let's go outside, me and my brother wrestling, like, WWE, you know, and just going crazy. Like, that was life. Like, I grew up on an island. Like, if you've ever risen the island, you would understand what I mean. Like, I'm right there by the beach, you know? Like, it's like the Garden of Eden where it's like so much fruit trees. It's, it's just kind of easy living. That was life, you know? And like I said, my dad was coming and going and more so going than he was coming. And so our house, it was a two and a half story house. The bottom was completely finished. There'd be like months out of the time with like, dad is not here. And then he'll come back and he'll probably live with us maybe two weeks, a month. I don't even know. Like I said, I, I just didn't really care. And then probably like two years before we left the islands, he um, kind of fixed up half of the second floor. That became like in resident, you know? But like even then, he wasn't there all the time. So looking back, I'm just like, why? But hey, you know. Yeah, so 11 years, that was the norm. We would go to school and we would hear kids saying stuff like, hey, your dad, like, bought me this. And I'm just like, okay. You know, like, it didn't bother me. But at the same time, it was like, like, looking back, I'm just like, wow. Because, like, like I said, six kids, my mom did not work. And so you talking about, like, struggling, man. Like, I don't know when the next meal is coming and even like looking back there'll be time when like my mom would just be praying praying and then there'll be like a knock on the door and like groceries outside and it got to the point where I was just like this isn't really God like you playing games like come on now like this is not real and so but like my mom prayer warrior and like I said I grew up going to church nine months before I was born. Like my mom and Jesus were like roommates. That was just life. It was struggling and not knowing when the next meal is coming, seeing my mom just, just like doing her thing and dad just not in the picture. 11 years of my life, that was the norm. So like in St. Croix, and you mentioned uh, that comparing, looking at other families in that culture, in there, is there a generally a tight family unit or are most families, a mom and a dad are, are present there or no? And I'm only asking because it sounds like you, you were kind of, huh, I'm seeing other dads, but not mine. Yeah. So I, I would say it's, it's no similar from pretty much anywhere where it's like, okay. okay. Yeah. Like some dads are just not present and just so happened that in this situation, uh-huh. like it was just, I don't know if it's because I had so many brothers 
Mm. Oh, yep, yep. You know, like it was just that stuff didn't bother me. My family was very close, you know, like to the point where it's like, you know, you mess with one, you mess with all, you know, and imagine having one girl. So it's like you really, we look at people be like, you really want to walk this road right now? Like, mm. and, and so it was just close knit. Um, my older brother honestly was the one that I looked up to when it was like, hey, like, that's my oldest brother, you know? And says that he was the man of the house, you know? Like seeing other, like even when we go to church, there's like men there and their family. And I, I can't, I, like there's people that I grew up with that similar stories affected them way more than it did me. And I don't know why. I don't, I, I just don't know. Even now dealing with kids who are, like, man, your story's similar to mine. And it, it just, it hits them a lot more different than it did me. I really don't know why that was. Well, and who knows, too, because obviously you, you sounds like you come from a, a very tight-knit family. You had a lot of brothers who maybe kind of supplemented a little bit of that, that male yeah. role models. And you just kind of paid tribute to your oldest brother who almost became, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like almost like a father figure who kind of, stepped in a little bit into that role. And I'm curious too, like with kids who maybe don't have that strong family support, don't have a lot of brothers who it's so the void is a little bit more exacerbated with an absent father. I don't know. But when your dad, but when he was present, was there a connection? Was there anything that connected y'all when he was present? Oh, yes. It's any boy striving to be around that you know like i did not connect with my mom even oh. though she raised me you know like oh, okay and, and, and granted she had to play both roles like right and dad right you know but whenever dad would come back it's like dad is here let's go where are we going so it's like it's like a superstar like yes he, oh my gosh dad and yes Okay. And, okay. And there's great memories, hilarious moments that even when you know, me and my family get together now, we sit back and we reminisce, you know, and great stories. One thing my mom would say is, your dad is a hard worker. And okay. here's the crazy thing like, my dad is filthy rich. That's the crazy thing about it. Oh, he is. Yes. Filthy rich. And so, like, knowing that, you talk about, Looking back, like, if you're filthy rich, why we grow up the way we did? And as different men started coming into my life, forcing me to really sit down and really think about my dad and that relationship, the scars and all that stuff. It was like, man, like, wow. But yeah, great, great memories. Just a kid eager and longing to be with his dad whenever his dad showed up. Oh my gosh, moments like going out on his boat and just like just doing stuff like any son would want with a dad. Was there any advice or anything you, you picked up from him in your limited time or exposure to him that I remember like going to like work with him? So my dad was what we would call him an entrepreneur. He had 
fishing business, a painting business. But I remember like just like going to work with him and like seeing him just work all day, coming home with paint all over. When you think like, again, I was born in an island. So fishing business is huge. Paint business is also huge because it's like we get hurricanes like every year. Oh my God. I keep up saying. So you talk about once all is said and done, hurricane pass, and it's, it's time, time to rebuild. Like, time to go. It's the income as well. And so it's just to the point, like, just see him work hard. That's something I always had, just like to work hard. And everything I did, it was like work hard. Like even now, like I am a cinematographer. I only know the company and business and mm. just work hard. Like, perfect your craft. And so that's one thing I picked up from him, even though to my knowledge, he never sat down and was like, hey, work hard and that. Just seeing him work. His actions, his actions. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you said he's financially has done very well. And it yeah. maybe that his, his strong work ethic put him in that position to the detriment of being present to his family, yeah. though. So, but guess to highlight that. So I guess when you said you were 12, your family moved. Did you move away from the island? Yes. So we moved from the islands to Virginia and we moved right at the point where it was fall. Oh. And I say that because all my life it's been sunshine, oh. beauty, and warmth to we get off the plane in like basketball shorts. Huh. In the, yes, yeah, so I was just like, oh my gosh. What, pla- <laughs> what plant, planet is this? Yes. And just completely different, like everything, you know? Um, Culture it, shock. It, it, and so, but yeah, I moved because two of my brothers had diabetes, needed better medical, like just assistance and help. And so it was like, they recommended Virginia. That's what my mom told us. And so, Virginia it was. Okay. So with that transition, obviously, besides being a huge culture shock, so all of your siblings and your mom left and your, your dad stayed back. So, and, that, and you were 12? About 11 or 12. Yeah. Okay. So did you, were there, in, as you were now growing up, kind of planting new roots in Virginia and getting your bearings straight and kind of getting used to your new reality. Cause it sounds like your dad obviously was back in St. Croix and obviously the show and we want to honor moms and, and then those women in our lives that are, sometimes maybe make bigger impact. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to like not honor that, but were there men in your lives? Cause you moved at a time, pivotal time in a person's life. Cause you often hear in the, in child development and human development, the ages between zero and three are huge, right? developmentally it's just the way the brain is developing and then the next huge growth the spurt is is the teens puberty when the the brain the synapses are all the stuff that's happening with her body and so you're you're making this huge move in a time of your personal life of physical changes and all this stuff so not only maybe i'm assuming you're kind of battling that 
But I know in a lot of cultures, there's kind of a rite of passage. For some reason, the age of 12 to 13, obviously our Jewish friends and the bar mitzvahs and the bat mitzvahs, right? That rite of passage. All that to say is, were there men in your life during this time and through high school that spoke into you, that were kind of made an impression on you? So when we came to Virginia, that was my middle school years. So it was a lot of readjustment for me. And what I mean by that, I'm coming from an island where the accent is, my accent was just thick, like a Jamaican. And so you talk about being made fun of, being picked on. No one can understand me. So teachers are constantly like, huh? Can you repeat that? To the point where I was just like, how many times do I got to repeat? You know, it's like, how many times do I got to repeat myself? With that, it was just a lot of fights. Like, for the first time in my life, I'm getting like ISS in school suspension and like all this stuff. My mom, unfortunately, had to work now because we're in a new place. And so she was not really involved in our lives. Like, it's like we come home and she would come home, cook and go to bed. We go to bed, wake up school the next day. And so middle school was a lot of readjusting. And we were so like transient, like we moved so frequently. So when we first got to Virginia, we were in a Ronald McDonald house. We, we knew someone who were friends with someone else we knew in Ireland. So she was kind of like our go-to person. We got involved in her church where her church was like, hey, yeah, we'll help them out. And so we ended up living with the pastor who was an older guy and his wife, his kids were already gone. And so we stayed with them. So it was so much movement. Like we would live in a place for like one week and then move to another. So pretty, about, pretty transient. And then yeah, this like, is, this is your mom and six kids. Six kids, you wow. know, hotels, motels, how many kids. And so, like I said, the looking back, good thing about that is I never got, like I said, there's people that I know that same story as me, but they ended up gang life, prison, dead. I never got the opportunity. I don't even know if that's the right way to say that opportunity, but I, that was never me because it was like we were moving so much. People couldn't understand when I talked. So it was just like outcast. And so never really got into like gang and, and, and stuff like that. So that was middle school. And then when high school came into the picture, like my accent started like wearing off a little bit so that people can like understand me. And for the first time, we actually had like a church home because before that, it was just like we're moving so much. And then there's no transportation. So it's just like no church. We just had Bible studies in our house with mom and, and so on. But now we have a, a church home. We're finally settled into like a home, like this is our house, you know, mm -hmm. or our town home. So now we have a church home. Now we're stationary. So I'm not moving from school to school to school. And this um, is high the, school. This is high school. The first person that played a 
father figure role was a guy. I don't remember his first name. I only remember his last name was Williamson. And I just became like a Christian, just became saved. So this is the, the middle of sophomore year, mm-hmm. summer, I got saved, going into my junior year. And so I started this program for the youth in our church. It was called Journey 24-7. And I was just, man, I wanted to know more about God. And that was the opportunity. After church, we would all meet up who was ever in this program. And this dude, like he introduced me to like, there is more to the Bible that's not in the Bible. And I was like, what? And so he showed me like, what we call world history is not separate from Bible history. You took the red pill, like you'd opened up your to a whole nother dimension. Yes. And so he showed me like how what happened in the Bible actually happened in history. And so I started learning about like different cultures and all this stuff. And the Bible just became alive to me. It was just, man, just fascinating. I long for this, man. Like it's to the point where it's like after school, I would leave school. My friend would drop me off at church and I would just stay there all day. Really? All day, just hanging out, reading my Bible, setting up for whatever event was happening that night. So whether it was like Awanas or just what I did. And then there was also a band teacher. Band was huge. So we couldn't play sports growing up because my mom was like, listen, it's six of y'all. I can't afford it. We had to find stuff that was like, Money was not required. And so for me, it was band, specifically like the, the drum line or percussion. My band teacher, Mr. Matthew Brode, and I might butcher his last name because he was like German, but it was B-R-O-D-T. And he taught me there's a time to play and have fun, but then there's a time to be serious. Once I grasped that, like my life just changed. And like, he was very serious military to the point where it's like, I can't stand this dude. But like, once I grasped that, I started realizing like, that's just life, period. And not only that, but I got to see a different side of him. Mm-hmm. And he also kind of steeped down to our level. Like, let me meet y'all where y'all at. And in him doing so, we kind of rose to the occasion of, this is time to be serious, y'all. Let's be serious. He played a huge part and never really got to tell him that. But he still, never did? Never did. And, and once again, I'm, I'm a teenager, so you don't really value those moments until later on in life, at least for me. There's a lady I call my second mom. It's Mary Stockholm. And her husband, I was terrified of him. That was the first guy, the first man I was literally terrified of. To the point where it's like, I do anything and he finds out I'm a dead man. It was like, (laughs) yeah, let me think twice. And like me and like, like I said, his wife was like my second mom. His kids, like he, he had a girl named Sarah and she was like my sister. To the point where it's like at school, like, Sarah was so smart. She had like a mouth that was like, there's people at school who was just like, I want to fight her so much. I'd be like, listen, I don't care what you do, but the moment you lay hands on her, it's 
it's game on. Like that was my sister, like, oh my goodness. And so with that being said, like her dad terrified me, but that really made me make right decisions. Not all the time, but a lot of times. There's things I was about to do. I was like, stop and get some wind of this. And then Mr. Stop, like, I'm a dead man. Now I can't, I'm sorry. They got in your world junior, senior year in high school? They actually came in like sophomore year because their daughter was one year behind me. My sophomore year, that's when I officially was like marching band, drum line, all that stuff, which was her freshman year. And then we were going to the same church. Yeah, so they actually knew me at a moment where like Christ was not even a part of my life. I got you. So it was just like, I don't care. Like, I just do whatever I want. But the fear of this dude was like, can't, can't do that. That's mm-hmm. what they can't do. You know, so it, like, so that's like dad figure. Like, if dad finds out, I'm a dead man. And I appreciate you because it sounds like from, from what I'm hearing, three men kind of in different ways kind of ebbed and flowed into your life and supplemented to some degree. And, and tell me if those are the wrong words of becoming father figures to you. One was Mr. Williamson or Mr. Williams, who really sounds like turned you on to scripture and hey, a spiritual father, physical that really touched to you. And then your music teacher who with through music created boundaries and structure and also through the art of music. You need to have yeah. that. And so that he kind of came into your life and added that to your life, right? A structure, but then a spiritual sensitivity. So like a spiritual father, a structural father. And then mm-hmm. the last gentleman that you said, Sarah's father, who kind of created, sounds like a little bit of a, like a healthy fear of maybe yeah. of a father figure that you didn't have before, a strong male who, wow. And, but also too, maybe kind of presented another aspect of God. Loving, there's rules or there's yeah. expectation, but also too, there's a respect and a fear that maybe you didn't really have the 12 years of growing up in the island. Is that a fair assessment of, of what I'm hearing? That's it in a nutshell right there. Okay. Which I love hearing because your story is your story and, and, and the hope and the prayer is our conversation that something that you share can be a blessing to somebody out there that's going, man, I'm exactly, his story is my story. Or I'm that man who is speaking truth into kids' lives. Or maybe a dad, like, I, I messed up. It's too late. But by you sharing that is obviously the, you didn't have, it sounds like a strong connection with your your personal father, but you, the power of other men really left an impression on you. And I don't know your story yet, post high school, but how those impressions on you maybe have changed the direction of your life even to what you're doing now, because in a minute or later on in our conversation, I do want to hear from you. Why are you doing what you're doing now? And is it because of anything from your past, either father and these men who became father figures? So those three guys in high school, huge. Now, like I said, my family was very close knit. And like I said, I never got a chance to like thank 
my band teacher or even like Mr. Williams. And that's because my mentality then was just like, I'm just living life. So in other words, relationships that I had with people was honestly just like one way to a degree, like, what are you giving me? And so that, that was high school. Now, when I moved on to college, the men that played a crucial role in my life in college started, like walls started to be broken down. And honestly, those walls were put up because just of my family structure. And us being close-knit, almost like, don't let anyone in. My mom being very protective of her kids. And so I didn't even realize I was like that until college, young adult. These new men in this season revealed that to me. Oh, okay. So another layer. Yes. Mm. So went off to college. I attended Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. And one, one of my bragging moments is I started college at 17. Okay, and not to rub, not to rub it in. Yeah, don't don't think I was smart. Like <laughs> summer, when summer came, it was like, okay, I'm in college. I gotta get some money in my pockets. So I actually did a summer camp, and this camp was Kids Across America in Golden, Missouri. And that summer, I was introduced to my director, Marvin Daniels, and. I mean, did I really, he really invested in me where I got to see him as a father and as a husband. This is something I never saw for the first 11 years, well, really, if I'm being honest, 17 years of my life. Mm. And once again, I, I may have seen it, but that was all one way. Now I'm seeing it in a manner where it's like, this is about to start breaking down walls. And so he had five kids and his youngest, when I first met his youngest was about two, three years old. And this dude invested in me, like father figure, having conversations that a dad would have with his son all throughout like the first 17 or 18 years of his life. Or playing um, catch up. Yeah. So it's catch up. I got to witness him doing that with his kids. Hey. And, and not like, like from the outside looking in, I mean, like I'm in his house. Like I am in the car as he's having conversations to the point, like people would be like, Hey, is this your son? And he'll be like, this is my oldest. He's not oh. my firstborn, but he's my oldest. Oh, to you. Oh, to you. <laughs> yeah, to me. That's cool. And so college years, brutal. I mean, like, these are, are like shaping me as a, a young man. Like, well, one of the most difficult things I had to do, it was we had a contract that you would have to sign at camp before you started working and let's just say I failed to meet the requirements of this contract. Mm -hmm. And I could have easily just lied and been like, 
check yes and sign. But because he played such a vital role, like doing life with him, and I held him in such honor and respect, most difficult conversation. And I called him, I was like, hey, I cannot honestly sign and say that I have done what this contract has said I've done. And hardest conversation of my life. He still took a chance on me and I was able to continue to work there. And even like his son, his oldest son, I remember him telling me the story of he did something like he snuck out to a party or something and got caught. And he had a conversation with him. He was like, man, I expected more. And his son was just like, man, like that was like a brick on his shoulder. And he was like, yeah, I'll let him walk around all moping for a few days yeah. so he can feel it. Yeah, right. was like, but after that, like I was like, hey, come on. We all going to make mistakes. Let's not wallow in our mistake. Let's get up. Let's learn. Let's move on. Let's do better. And when he shared that story with me, it was like, that's exactly what you did for me. He humanized a little bit of God. Yes. Unconditional love, forgiveness. And- yes. Just seeing how he loved his wife, how he raised and disciplined his kids. It was like, like I, said, I, I never saw that. Never saw that in my home. And it made me like re-examine and it made me actually start thinking like, I want to become a husband. I want to become a father. Wow. This is what I need to be soaking in. This is what I need to be eating and, and so on. And fast forward, he actually was the officiant in me and my wife's wedding. Wow. I literally just did his first daughter's wedding. And oh, you did? My, yeah, like, 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 like I said, I, I do videos and stuff. So I did, like, I captured it and I'm still uh-huh. editing and doing all that now. But like my, my second born daughter, we named her after his daughter, Imani, you know? No way. And both my daughters were the flower girls in his daughter's wedding. Uh, like, I remember... Amazing. I remember when my second born was, when I, was, I figured out, when it was like, oh, it's a girl. Like, one of the first things I did was like, I called her, like his daughter. And I was like, hey, I would love to name my daughter after you. Because Ooh. I've seen you from a young age, like five years old, to a young woman. Uh, at the moment, she was in college. And I, I see your hearts for people. I see just like your grace. And I was like, may it be an honor for you to be my daughter's goddaughter. And she was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be proud. Oh, cool. Yeah. And and so that's how much of an impact Mr. Daniels was in my life. He was the father that I never had for the first 17 years of my life. And I thank God that I came in. And he was at that moment where he was raising his kids because it was like, I was there watching it. Like stuff I never got, I was able to see and learn firsthand. Totally shaped me to who I am today. Mm. What a testimony. What a testimony to him and a tribute to him. Where was your introduction to him at Liberty? Well, what, like how did, 
So he was the director at the summer camp I was working at all my years in, in college. Okay. So he wasn't associated with Liberty. He was at the no, summer camp. Yeah. He was at the summer you. camp. I got yeah. you. Okay. Okay. And yeah. They're and in Virginia. My college was in Virginia, but the camp is actually in Missouri. So after college, now we're post-college and I moved to Memphis, Tennessee. This is around 2010. I did a nine-month program called Downline Ministries. And the whole focus was we're going to walk through the Bible and we're going to show you discipleship in nine months from Genesis to Revelation. Mind-blowing to me. Because at that point, like, discipleship was just like Jesus and his crew. But it's like, what about Moses and Aaron? And so it opened up my eyes and I got to see, like, everyone has a definition of discipleship. Everyone had their own definition. And this definition was like, oh my goodness. Like, this is what I saw Marvin Daniels doing. What I saw Mr. Williams doing. What I saw... It's the broke doing like all these, these men in my life. I was like, well, this, this is it. And then the beauty of that program was like, we're going to teach you, but you have to go out and do it. Yeah. So we would meet Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, and then Thursdays was a special class. It was like everything you learned, you teach. Like Jesus said, as you are going, make disciples. And so I... Um, doing those nine months, it, we were in a house, me and some other guys, and that house had a, a we, we had a couple who were like our adopted parents mm-hmm. in those nine months. His name was Dr. Jim Reardon, former dentist, and older couple, we went to their house, and it was like, oh my goodness, we're having a meal, and literally felt like I was in a royal castle in the presence of a king and a queen. I mean, the food on the table, the silverware, and I'm just like, whoa. And he started talking, and I just fell in love with this dude. Like, just the years of wisdom that was on him and his wife. I was like, oh my gosh, I got to stay connected. And so what was beautiful, like they were already our adoptive parents. So it's like, mm-hmm. y- y'all available next month? Like, like I'm coming. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, the, the program finished and I stayed in Memphis and continued to connect with them. And I remember meeting with them after downline was over. And I was like, hey, man, I would just love to just do life with y'all, man. Do life with you. And so he sat down, older guy, crossed his leg, and he was like, how old are you? And I was like, I'm about, I think I was like 24, 25, 24 years old. And so he was like, 24, 24, what was I doing at 24? And he just started talking. And literally, I was like, oh my gosh, that's everything I am contemplating, struggling with, like everything I'm seeking. And I was just like, oh my gosh. That is me in a nutshell. Our whole relationship was a movement from childhood to adulthood. The Bible talks about when I was a child, I spoke like a child. 
talk like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, put away childhood things. That was that season. That was like what he did for me. And so for the first time in my life, I'm calling up my mom like, hey, mom, um, you need to stop putting me as a dependent on taxes. I'm paying for my own taxes. I'm doing my own. It was that, that transition from boyhood to manhood. He taught me like, stop living in the now. A man thinks five years from now, 10 years from now. You want to be a husband? Yeah, okay. To become a husband, there needs to be a woman. Is there a woman in your life? And I'm like, nah. And he was like, listen, he, he was like, your wife is already a part of your life. You just don't know it yet. And I was like, what? And he was like, who, who is involved in your life right now? Females, that. And I was just like, man, it's a, he, he got me to like think and be reasonable. Remove yourself from the mentality of every girl I see. Oh man, she's fine. Like, and just being like, listen, your wife is there. And lo and behold, he was so right because my wife actually went through the same program, the Downline Ministries, nine months with me, the exact same class. We hung out. We did the same volunteer thing, but I never saw her like that. And that's because I had that boyhood mentality of every chick that looked good. Oh man, that's an option. Right. It's just like, come on, wake up, manhood time. And so like crucial years getting me to the stage of, of manhood. And once again, just, just fast forward. And he was the one who prayed over me and my wife in my wedding, our wedding. He is the one who I'm just like, man, guys who I'm discipling now, I'm just like, listen, you're about to meet the great Dr. Reardon. And I'm taking them to see him in Memphis. And, and so I'm like, it's that's cool. Like crucial role. And then another and, generation yeah. he's impacting. Yeah. It was like I said, like, I feel like my life, the men who were involved were obviously latecomers, like Mr. Daniels. He, he's teaching me stuff from the first 17 years. I should have learned the first 17 years of my life. I'm learning now at, 18 to like 21. And then Dr. Renan comes along and now he's teaching me stuff that I should have been learning when I was in college. And it was just like, man, just very vital and crucial. Another guy, even in that, that same era was Dr. Tim Holler and his role. Dr. Renan challenged me like, hey, a man pursues, he's not afraid. He pursues stuff, not just a woman or a wife, but everything. And so for the first time in my life, he challenged me to like, hey, find a church, not just because your friends are going there, but find a church where they're gonna pour into you. Your gifts, your talents are gonna be able to be used. And I end up doing, I went to this church I got a bulletin and I'm looking at it and I'm seeing like light groups. And so I call this random guy, Tim Holland. I'm like, hey, it shows here that you have a group that meet at your house at this time on Sunday. He's like, yeah, come on over. So I walk in there and it was like a band of misfits. 
but loved it because he showed me what community looks like. And once again, I'm coming from like my family being close knit, walls up. Don't let anyone in, like protect yourself. And now I'm seeing like a bunch of random people who don't look like me, different background, but all together unified in Christ. And those are like the best moments of my life. Like just being with people who are different, but really have like a heart for me and my well-being. Very crucial, played a crucial role even in how I live life today. My kids are very much like, especially my, my firstborn, she's very much like never met a stranger. Had I not met Tim Holler, my, my daughter would have never been like that. Wow. Because me and my wife, we, we have open doors. People coming through, we're doing life with them. We invested in people. That would have never been the case had Tim Holler not stepped into my life. He allowed me to, to, to see people, get people at church, like open up yourself. To have friends, you have to be a friend. If you're looking for community, you have to play your part. And so very crucial in my life. And him, Dr. Reardon, Mr. Daniels, still very much a part of my life and very crucial. I look back and the way I am today, you ask the question, why are you here at the children's home? And what was told to me from Mr. Stockholm and his wife, like, hey, upbringing, your story might have sucked. You may have hated the way you grew up and the difficulties, the, the, just the pain, but God can use that. Your story can motivate the generation to come who are going to have the same story and probably even worse than yours. You're going to be the one to give them hope because they can relate to you. And I remember hearing that and just being like, yeah, right. And now it's like, literally what I do is I'm doing life with people who their home situation is not great at all. Kids background, not like worse than me, like, oh my. Uh, you know, what I'm even in Memphis, I, I worked at a, a boarding school. I was in the dorms. I tell people all the time, never been to Africa. Africa came to me. And because I had probably eight to 10 boys that lived in this dorm, all Africans, just doing life for them. Wherever you saw me in Memphis, you saw me with these little kids, these little boys that I was just doing life. Like teaching them like, hey, you may have come from a different culture, but what happens if you're invited to a dinner? Which fork do you use? Which spoon do you, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm teaching them that because that's what I was taught. Dr. Rennan showed me that. Like, and um, I'm doing life. We, me and my wife, we just went back and we go every year, every other year. My brother-in-law was graduating from dentist school. And so... We was like, hey, let's, let's drive. Let's drive from Texas to, to Nashville, Tennessee, and let's stop in Memphis. So we stopped there for a few days and I got to reconnect with the boys that was living with me in this dorm. Eight years passed. Mm -hmm. I come out the car and they're like, 
Mr. Joe, like all taller than me. I'm just like, oh my gosh. So I'm sitting there, we're reminiscing, we're laughing. And to see all of them graduated high school, business owners, and so on and so forth. And to, to like hear them say, like, like, we're sitting down, we're talking. They got to see me date a woman, marry this woman. They were in my wedding, walking my mom down, my mother-in-law and, and, and so on and so forth. Like, and now they're getting to see me with kids, my own kids, raising them. I'm talking, I'm sitting there, I'm challenging them, be like, hey, new season of life. What are your goals? What are your plans? Like, just hear them say like, man, we still need you in our life. I was just like, oh my goodness. Like, thank you, Marvin Daniels. Thank you, Dr. Reardon. Thank you, Dr. Holler. Thank you, Mr. Stockholm. Thank you, Mr. Williams. Thank you, Mr. Bro. Like, I'm doing what they taught me to do. Those were my, my, my father figures. And now I'm their father figures. And it's like the cycle continues. The very thing that was told to me, like, you are going to impact kids because they're going to be in tough situations. It's, I'm seeing it before my eye. That rings a bell like every now and then. And I'm just like, hey, like, wow. Here at the children's home, like, I'm leading Bible studies. I'm challenging kids. Like, hey, listen, what was told to me is more to the Bible that's not in the Bible. I'm walking these kids. I'm teaching them the Enuma Elish story of the Babylonian Empire and, and how Genesis is a direct clapback to the Babylonians. And they're mm-hmm. like, wait, what? Like, I, like, I'm opening up their eyes. Like, everything that was taught to me, I'm doing. That's my motivation. Like, I see these kids. I see, like, man, this... I see myself in you. Life sucks right now. Get it. But oh man, there is hope. There are men out there who are willing to step in and play that father figure. There's so much there and so much to your story. And it's like, my brain is like, okay, what, what question that has next? There's just so much richness there. And I think on so many fronts, just a tribute to the men, again, that made an impression on you, that changed the trajectory of your life. And it's that uh, paint it forward. And you're being such a good steward of what you've been a recipient of, because it's one thing to have all these men poured into you and just to hold that and be somewhat selfish and like, I'm just going to take care of my own family. But not only are you taking care of your own family, but you're now taking others like the gentleman at your summer camp did. He had his own that he was raising, but he took you in. Yeah. Because not a lot of people would probably do that because, no, I've got my own I got to worry about. I don't have time or the, yeah. the bandwidth to pour that onto others, right? But that gentleman did. And then you are doing that for so many every day. So there's hope in what you're sharing in your story. And I think sometimes too, it's like our scars can be healing for others. Right? Like, so yeah, these are my scars, but I use it for, for the glory of who, what I had to endure. And may these scars be reminders, and, but also to being ones of encouragement. Does that make sense? So it's 
I was talking to one of my guests who's there in Virginia. He works with men. They call him coach. But he he has a big scar on his face. But he was always really ashamed about it. But his wife was like, no, that's not, that's part of your story. And it's going to, people can relate to that. So he now uses that kind of as like a, a badge of honor. So anyway, just, I guess what I'm trying to say is like your story, your scars are able to heal, bring healing to other people, uh, make you more human, make you more relatable to empower and encourage those kids that you're working with and that are going to continue to be put before you and your wife, right? Yeah. So it's, it's an amazing story, Joel, and such a powerful testimony. So the power of other men to, to, to mentor, I think that's another key word is the, the power of mentoring. Now to focus a little bit on you as a father to kind of hone in specifically, now whether it's to your eight children there in your home or to your three blood children, if you will, yeah. what has been the greatest challenge as a dad in your role? Greatest challenge. I don't think that's one answer. Many things, but right. I, I can say one of the biggest ones is I think at times I can forget I was a child once. And what I mean by that is, like for instance, right now, our youngest, my boy, like we're potty training him. And right there, right oh there my, with you. Oh my goodness. We're right in it's, the middle of that. Just like, you cannot tell me you did not feel this coming out of you. And it's times when I'm so frustrated and my wife, and I'm just like, we need to tag team out, let's go. But I got to stop and remember, like he is learning. As an adult, I am so far removed from that, that I forget that I am teaching him. Are you really that far removed from Joel? Are you really that far? Okay. I mean, like, I'll see you. Yeah. And so, like, it's like they are, they are learning how to do stuff. They're not adults, so they're not going to do stuff perfect. In fact, you learn some things by failing. 100%. And I feel, I feel like so we're learning a now. lot of times, yeah, a lot of times we forget that. Because we're so like, but we're adults and it's like, you should master, this should be mastered by now. And so I feel like we put that same mentality on our kids and we forget that at one point we were learning too. And that's even with my blood kids and even my kids in the home with me mm-hmm. is the same thing. I have a 17 year old right now and it's like, Hopefully potty trained. Yeah. <laughs> Praise God for that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like right now we're going through the, the girl thing, the girl phrase where it's like, you, you can't do two, three gir- girls. You can't be in a relationship with two, three girls at the same time. Nothing good can come from right. walking through that. And I remember like being walked through that myself, like reality, like you, you cannot have do three, like nothing good can come from Gonna get ugly. Yeah, it's gonna get ugly. And (laughs) even like girlfriend, like why are you pursuing this girl just to put like to get her upset? Like it's like I'm going through that with them. And I'm looking at it like I asked them a question the other day, like 
who were the healthy, like, couple in your life? And he was like, you and Miss Nikki. And I was like, at, at this moment, he's in trouble. So I'm like, obviously, we're doing a horrible job right now. But I was like, before us. And he was like, nobody. Like, I came, I like, my dad is not involved. And like, he was just a couch potato before he came here. Mm-hmm. And now he, he, he's like, strapping young lad, the, the, the ladies girl, oh, the ladies guy. And he's just like, now I'm walking through something he, like, he never saw modeled in his life. 17 years. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> That's me. So when he gets in trouble and it's heated, I'm upset. I got to remember that this was you. See, we're so quick to forget, like, you were once there. And That's good. I, have to, I have to stop and pause and be like, man, like, they're learning. Yeah. That's interesting, because I think with all the interviews that I've had, that's the first that, which is fine, because it's everybody's different story. But just, I appreciate that, of just pausing, being self-aware, and just trying to be more in sympathetic, I guess, putting yourself in their shoes in the pause. Yeah, that's really, really a good point. And that's actually, again, as, as leveraging, leveraging the show as a, as a new father, you know, just with my son. I mean, yes, he's right. We're right smack dab in the middle of potty training the last two weeks. And yeah, I'm like, you just peed all over yourself and you're running around the house. Like, does that not feel uncomfortable to you? Do you not, are you not, is it not clicking yet? Kind of with you, like, what's yeah. going on? Like, we should have this down by now. But also, too, but, but I work with kids, I work at a school. And so just really trying to, so that's good for me to hear, too, not only in my role as, at school, but also, too, as a father, is stop dropping that role. Yeah, stop dropping. Right, yeah, yeah. But stop dropping, just pause, because mistakes is where true learning happens. And in, in, yeah. in, in, in discipline is discipleship is really was what that is. And so that, yeah, I appreciate that. So that's, that's interesting as far as like, I guess one of your, your greatest challenges, what you mentioned too, cause not only do you have your three personal of blood children, but you have eight others that are children to you too. Where do you find time as a father to connect with each and every one of them where they feel like they've been, they, they're seen and they're heard. Grateful. We have all boys, grateful for that. And so they're all into some form of sports. They want to be athletes, some form of fashion. And then they're just, they're just into media. And so we, our whole range from like eight to like 17. And so our oldest one, we have three we call them the older ones and they get the time where it's like, Hey, let's go to Sonic. It might be like 10 o'clock at night and we're driving there. We're talking, we get to Sonic, we're sitting there, we're talking. We have movie nights every Friday and we every, go all out. Yeah. Every, every Friday we have that, movie night. Is that with all, all the boys? Yeah. All of them, even, even now my kids are older, they, they get to, to come in because we stay up like I'm a night owl. So I'm up two, three in the morning. And so we, 
they, they get to stay young. We watch movies. I mean, they snacks, the lore. And a lot of time, the older boys, they're in the movie room with me because usually the movies are like not age appropriate for the younger ones. And sometimes it's, it's just like, they're not going to understand. Unless it's like a Marvel, then it's like, oh, I know that so-and-so, they still don't get the plot, but we're in the movie room. And then the other younger ones, they're in what we call the game room. And so they get to watch like their Netflix or play their game and so on and so forth. And kitchen's open, so you just come and go, you get what you need, so on and so forth. You're up late, you're enjoying it. But those are the crucial times with my older boys because they want to talk about like what teenagers are going. Like I tell them all the time, I know your hormones are raging. So we we gonna talk about girls. I know you might be upset at what life is. I got a, one of my boys been here for 10 years, 10 years. And we, this is all he knows. And so we are, we're taking him. Thanks, Damon. You coming with us. Christmas, you coming with us. Like we were going to my mom-in-law and it's our support. And we travel with new stuff with them. The younger ones now, they are at the stage where they want to have fun. So a lot of times it's like simple stuff when it's not like deathly hot outside. Like we're outside throwing the Frisbee. And as I throw it, I'm yelling the name, go, you got it, go, go. When they get it, then it's just like, let's go. They do that dance and stuff like that. We're just outside having fun, doing stuff. They love those moments. And so it's just, it can be challenging at times. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, I can relate to them. And then not only that, but like, my kids has, my personal kids has played a huge role. Because a lot of the kids here, and some are now in college, but they witness my wife being pregnant to like an infant coming home in the cottage. They witness like late nights, babies up, crying. They witness the first steps. They witness the first words and, and so on and so forth. Like they got to see all this. And you talk about coming from a broken hole to living with us and experiencing that. You know what I'm saying? Like three kids who from like infant to like, now my oldest is like seven years old. Like, so their family, it's not hard to like do stuff with them. And the beauty is just the, the way our job is. Like I said, I live where I work and I work where I live. They see everything. But when me and my wife is fussing or not in agreement, they see everything. So it's not hard to like hold them aside and be like, hey, we have a, a hard conversation, right? It's not hard when their problem is like, no media. You didn't do your laundry. No media. And they're mad and upset. I'm not taking it personal. Because I know come tomorrow or the next day or, or, or whatever, we're going to be back talking. They know we care for them. A lot of them come in. Like the last boys that came in, there were brothers. They came in. One of them never been to school his entire life. And he is like, 
how old is he? Six. So you're talking about missing uh, the most crucial stages of you know, education. They're coming from like the mom is not there. You're talking about no food in the house. Hygiene is horrible. Like when he came in, he looked like someone could play the role of Jesus. Here so long to the point like Don't when they came in. Them. Yeah, like he, he came in and I wasn't there. And then when I finally came, he was like outside. And my wife was like, hey, they need him in the office. Go get him. And so I saw three people sitting at the, the bench, long hair. So I'm assuming they're girls. And I go up there and I was like, hey, have y'all seen Alejandro? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm there. And I was like, whoa. Like, because from the back, it looked like three girls, like long hair. Like, and so from, from when they were first place to now, you talking about they came in. Just food, eat, 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 eat. I don't know what I'm going to eat again. Eat, 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 eat. To now it's like, we know a meal is coming. They came in where it's like, I can't read. I can't write. I don't even know the alphabets. To now like confident, they get in awards at school, reading on a third grade level. And so on and so forth. Like, that's us doing life. You know what I'm saying? In these moments, it's not difficult. It's every and anything to be involved in that life. From um, we're going to the football game, I'm gonna be there with with air horns. I got like 14 poster boards. I was like, oh, he's going for the touchdown. Give me that ball. Give me that ball. Let's go. Like it, it's not difficult to meet the needs of the attention to build relationship with all of them, and that's because. Thank you, Dr. Holler. We're doing life with yeah. them. Yeah, they're they're seeing the good, the bad, the ugly. And it's kind of that built-in accountability too with you and your wife, right? It's like reading you're being real and kids need to see, hey, we're we're having some tough conversations, like you said, but we're gonna get through this and that's okay. Cause they need to see, like, oh, they're they're an argument or they're disagreement, and one of them isn't gonna walk out. You know, yes. right? Okay, all right. So you're just you never know. At the end of the day, the impact that you got your, you, the imprint you're making on these kids' lives and, and the yeah. model, the example that you're establishing for them. Because right now in our culture, too, for couples to stay together, that's kind of a rare thing. So yeah. you and your wife got this unicorn couple, maybe just like what? But now having worked at a, at a children's home myself and seeing the power of home parents and the impact they have and what they go through, it's a calling. And so, just for you and your wife, what y'all are doing is y'all are the unsung heroes in our community, in our society. So just know that people need to know more about what y'all are doing and what people are doing out there in that world. I would say, Joel, what in your, you're, you're kind of on the front steps or the front porch, if you will, to a whole nother angle of society and working with these children who have been dismissed or it's their last chance that a lot of people maybe don't encounter. But what do you see are the biggest challenges facing? And it could be parents. So I do want to be inclusive in that that area. But what do you think are the biggest challenges facing dad today? I know we talked about your specific challenge, you, Joel. But what do you think are some of the biggest challenges that are facing dads today? Things in society right now, my little 
two cents real quickly. I think men, number one, boys are being dismissed. Or I think I just saw a stat that actually it's men that have the highest suicide rates right now in our culture. So with that being said, what's your thoughts on that or the biggest challenges facing dads? I think one of the challenges is men have a hard time like doing relationships. And it comes with that, like seeking advice, being open and, and vulnerable. And that's because the identity that a lot of men have is, oh, I'm a man, beat my chest, hear me roar, rough dirt on I got this, no help. And that's like, oh my gosh, like, I'm so thankful for the, the men that have been involved in my life because I quickly see that I can't do this alone. I don't want to be someone only learn from failures. Don't get me wrong. I can learn from some failures, but I can also learn from other people's failures. Seeking other men, seeking help, seeking assistance, just being in community. I feel like that's something that men don't do or they think it, it's weak and soft. But if they really were to invest in that, oh my goodness, they'll see how much they crave and need that. And I think by you saying that again, the hope too is is through the podcast is just to serve as a reminder that we're in my my intro is that we can't do this alone, that we really do need each other. We do need to go like, well, tell me your battles, tell me your celebrations. I need hope. I need some encouragement. I think for guys, you said this earlier in our conversation, more about friendships, but like in order to be a friend, to have friends, you need to be a friend. So I'm going to twist that a little bit, but it's like, as far as needing a group of men, you need to be vulnerable first. You need to maybe reach out first. Mm -hmm. Right? Because it's like, it. I think maybe my experience is, my, my makeup is I'm generally, maybe it's a purdy trait, but like with my dad, like his arm could be falling off. And I'm like, but how are you? Like your arm, I'm good, I'm good. How are you? I'm like, but dude, but your arm's falling yeah. off. It's like, we don't want to talk about our junk. But yeah. when I hear other men around me, share a little bit of vulnerability or crack that door open. I'm like, huh? Well, if he's willing to go there, then yeah, I'm going to feel a little bit more free and comfortable to then share stuff that I'm struggling with. Right. Yeah. And so I guess, I guess my point is and encourage guys out there too, is you may need to be that one to take the first step. Mm -hmm. But I think too, like you're caught in what you're doing, family and job. We're all that way. But like, what does that look like? How do we find a, a band of brothers, if you will, or to be vulnerable with? I don't have time for that. Or maybe just some listeners out there is like, I don't, I don't go to church. So where do I find guys to, to walk, do life with? Sounds like yeah. you, you've got that. Yeah, that's good. And thank you, Dr. Reardon, for this. <laughs> I'm just thanking him as I go along. But it's like, they're already there. They're already involved in your life one way or another. It's just pursuing. And that can be scary. I get it. To open up and be vulnerable because it's just like, man, like, I don't know if they're going to reciprocate the same way. But I, I look at my life 
And when you just look at the men who have poured into me, they don't look like me. Different walks from me. And I think that's the beauty of community. Like, not everybody needs to look like you, come from the same background. And I think we, we live in a culture on a day and age where it's just like, oh, let me find someone who looked like me, who is similar and can relate. And it's just like, listen, that's not the case. Just because I'm black, that don't mean I need to go pursue like only black people who've been, no. Like, listen, we're all human and we all face the same things, the same struggle. And I feel like that's one reason why men may have a hard time finding that community. And that's because you may be looking for people who look exactly like you. Dude right across the street, y'all, he, he might have went through what you're going through. Or y'all might be going through the same thing. But because he doesn't look like me, I don't know. And I, I see that far too often, especially in the Black community, especially in the Black community. One of the most beautiful pictures is on my wedding day when they snapped, like we were all praying, like all our, my, my wife mentors, my mentors, they're all praying over us. And it's like the rainbow up there. But I look at them just like. That's heaven. Yeah, like, yeah, like old white men showing me. Like, hey, I was once 24. Now I'm like 60, 70 something. Hey. What was I struggling with at 24? And he's just talking. I'm just like, dude, everything you're saying, that's what I'm pursuing. That's what I want. I want to be where you're at right now. How did you do it? White old man. Regardless. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. but that showed me like we're all going through something okay? or been through something and we can lean on people and learn, get out the hole. They have to look like me. They have to live in the same neighborhood. Well, and and, and it kind of gets back to what you're saying too, is, is being vulnerable to some degree and, and, and taking that first step, regardless of age, skin, backgrounds, socioeconomic, regardless, right? And to your point, like you said, maybe it's all around you. Like, like he told you about your wife, she could be, she, she could be right there. They're, they're there. But, but I think it's also too, it's like being open to, I feel like it's like, man, I, that's why I love to also love the, the leveraging this podcast. Cause I love hearing people's stories and just like, tell me, this is your story. And then like, and, and, and how it all relates, whatever in your experiences, what, what can we glean from that? And even to the waiter that is serving you dinner at your, just ask, man, how you doing? Where are you from? What high school yeah. did you go to? And how did that just being curious and how some, there's been so much magic that just from those little questions, how something will just manifest itself. And I think maybe I'm a, I have to shout out to my father and my mom, but, but just seeing my dad growing up in new Orleans and how, I really felt like he was such a, is such a great example of just loving people for who they are and where they are. And I would just, and being curious and, and how he would just came across all walks of life in New Orleans and, 
And it just really showed me there's beauty in anybody and everybody if we're willing to listen, pause, and get out of our comfort zone, if you will. So we're, you're just missing so much opportunity because there's power in stories and there's there's power in your story. Anyway, but but we're not, we're not in this alone and it may be encouraging dads just to get out of their comfort zone and, and at least find one or two other guys that you can just connect with and just be able to like, because I think too, one thing that came up with a lot of some of my guests is mental health. And I think, I'm not sure if you've seen that too, but it's like, I think we tend to bottle things up or it's weak to be vulnerable. But I think there is something really refreshing. I struggle with, I, I had struggled with panic attacks years ago, but when somebody shares with me that they suffer with panic attacks, I'm like, I totally know what you're going through. It was a blessing when I could talk to people and they're like, man, I, yeah. And I'm like, you did? Oh my gosh. Okay. What was that like? Cause it's, it's, it's kind of healing. So when you hear other men that have like, oh, you're struggling with that too. Ah, there's, it, it really can rejuvenate the soul and be so encouraging. I agree. Joel, as far as like kind of winding down, is there anything that is stirring you from our conversation that either you want to share with the audience that's tugging at you or, or anything, any question that I haven't asked you that you want to address? As far as we, we started this off talking about my actual dad, my physical dad, mm-hmm. and wasn't involved in my life, but now being a father, now being a husband, I have to say to him, like, listen, like, it is never too late. And anyone who had been listening, whereas like you, like you might have been like, wasn't there for my kids and, and so on, like, it is never too late. Yes, there might be some valleys, you got to walk through mountains, you got to climb to, to gain the, the trust, but it is never too late. I welcome building a relationship with my actual dad. It's so many questions I have. One, just about my family. Always told, yeah, you have a lot of uncles and aunts. Never met any of them. Heard stories about grandpa and grandma. Never met them. To my knowledge, never met them. So it's so much I would love to, to know. So much that if I knew could probably like really make me sound like, that's why I'm this way. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And so it's never too late. And, and even like, even my kids, my, my girls be like, hey, so we know Papa for Miss Stephanie is mommy's dad. And then Papa for Mimi is mommy's stepdad. And they look at me and be like, where is your dad? And I'm like, more than I did. <laughs> but like, so to tell my dad, like, your grandkids, they ask about you. Never too late. Never too late. Mm-hmm. Not saying it's going to be an easy opening up the door and come on in. But it's never too late to start. Never too late to mm-hmm. start. Because I guarantee you, your kids were dads who weren't present. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you, in some form or fashion, they want that. They have questions that only you can answer. And even as we talked about this, your, your failures can teach people things. People can learn from your failures. So 
I encourage dads. If my dad is ever to stumble across this, man, I encourage it never too late to start. Never too late. Well, dad has spoken with a lot of wisdom, maturity and, and grace for you to say that. And that is so powerful. So thank you for sharing that to encourage anybody that's out there to encourage those dads that maybe feel like they've messed up or it's been years to make that call, initiate, send a text and email and reestablish that. I've, I've had a one or two guests that have shared stories of some reconnections with dads and how powerful it was after years of absence and kind of got closure that was needed. So my prayer is that for you, Joel, with your father, uh, but for others out there as well. It's almost like the prodigal son story of coming home. But man, I can't thank you enough for being vulnerable, for taking your time out of your busy schedule with... So, I think it's one of the things when somebody asks you, hey, Joel, how's it going? Uh, that's a loaded question. Because you're like, yeah. well, you asked, do you really want to know? Because you are... Yeah, you're doing a lot, man. And I don't know why you still have a full set of hair with what you're doing. But but thank you for being such a wonderful guest and for what you're doing. You're right there in the fight. You're right there in the line of fire, really changing the trajectory of, of the next generation. And so thank you for that. And just for sharing your life, uh, living a life of selflessness. Um, I know that also too, that can take a toll on a marriage. And so I know that can take a toll because it really is a calling. So really thank you for everything that you shared. It's been an honor. Thanks for having me once again. Absolutely. Uh, and listeners, thank you so much for tuning in and getting to hear Joel's story. The prayer is that something that he says is a blessing to you, an encouragement to you. We'll have all his information in the show notes. So feel free to go through that. And also too, just if you want to reach out for any questions that you can see links to, to get a hold of the Bear Crawls with Dad. So again, thank you so much for tuning in and Joel, thank you and a a good night and a good week with all that you're doing. All right. Appreciate that. We hope you enjoy this latest episode of Bear Crawl with Dads. From our brother C.S. Lewis, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. Mm-hmm.